last few weeks talking about revealing what happens one minute after you die. First week we talked about, uh, we looked at the perspective from both the Christian and the non-believer, what their future was according to what Jesus and Paul said, Scripture said. We have seen what Jesus and Paul's words described last week as the place the Bible calls hell and then the lake of fire where those who choose to reject the goodness and the mercy of the Lord will spend eternity. And that's what Scripture says. It doesn't matter what ministers or religious people or philosophers or whoever says there's not these places of heaven and hell. Jesus declared there were. And I choose to believe the Lord Jesus over those things. And then we've seen the future who know Christ as Savior and Lord. And today, thank the Lord, we're on a good subject today. Last week was a little rough for me and maybe rough for you. But today we're going to reveal what's going to happen to those who have chosen to receive God's mercy and goodness through Jesus Christ. And they have their eternal destiny in that place, Jesus said in John 14, called heaven. I want to share with you again, these are some statistics. I don't know how many of you are familiar with George Barna and the Barna Association. What they do is they survey Christians and non-Christians on various religious topics. And in their survey, they reveal, their stats reveal what Americans think about heaven. And so these are some stats I want to share with you, a little bit alarming to me. But most Americans believe in a life after death and the existence of a soul yet they're not clear about their own personal ultimate destination. They believe there is such a thing, but they're not sure about themselves. They hope they'll go to heaven. And we have discovered in ministering to people, evangelizing people, going out and sharing the gospel with people, that when we ask the question, if you were to die today or tonight, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? The most common response is, I hope so. So that's not a good answer because First John 5, 13, yeah, 5.13 says, these things were written that you may know that you have eternal life. So one in four adults or 24% admit that they really have no idea what will happen to them after they die. Now, this group of 24% of Americans is comprised of singles, men, atheists, agnostics, residents of the Western Hemisphere, which you are of, and then the 18 and 19-year-olds of the Mosaic Generation. Of those expecting to go to heaven, now you got to listen to this, of those expecting to go to heaven, there are differences in how they anticipate such an end will be attained or how they're going to get there. 43% say they would go to heaven bound, they would be heaven bound because they believe they've confessed and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Right answer. Okay? Right answer. 15% felt they would go to heaven because they've attempted to keep the Ten Commandments. Now, when I was, before I was a Christian, that was my thing, you know, to try to keep the Ten Commandments, you know. But I found out I broke them all. And then even when I thought, well, I haven't killed anybody, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're killing yourself the way you're living. I said, oh, guilty. I am guilty. Fifteen percent said they'd go to heaven because they attempt to keep the Ten Commandments. Fifteen percent believe that they are a good person and will go to heaven. Another six percent believe that they'd go to heaven because God loves all people and he would not let them perish. God's a good God. He's kind of like Grandpa. You know, at the end, well, I didn't really mean that. Come on in anyway. We'll bend the rules for you. There are new perceptions in today's culture and society, especially among younger folk, that they have new perceptions about the hereafter. And one in five adults, or 18%, they contend that they are, they are reincarnated after death. We talked about that. 
After they die, they're going to go around the wheel of life and come back as a mouse, a lice, a roach, or whatever until they finally come back to the greatest evolved state that there is and reach nirvana. That's not a state. It's not a city. It's none of that. Okay. One-third or 34% of Americans believe... This is Americans. Believe it is possible to communicate with others after their death. So they, they are trying to talk necromancy. This idea is gaining popularity, especially among younger generations. 48 or half of the busters, those that were born between 1965 to 1980, they embrace this concept of communication with the dead. 35% of boomers, those born between 1946 and 1964, believe that they can communicate with the dead. And then 15% of the elders, and that is who it says it is, 58 years and above, they believe in communication with the dead. So we see it's the younger generations that are believing, well, yeah, this is possible. We can talk to the dead. And we have all kinds of shows that encourage that, Hollywood shows and sitcoms and everything that encourages that. If you ever watch, and I don't know how much you do, I don't, but I am shocked when I watch what are on the normal television channels, what is on there for people, what's on there for kids. It, it, is, it is something. It's, it's, uh, it's really something. Then Americans' willingness to embrace beliefs that are contradictory religious viewpoints are revealing that among born-again Christians, okay, that's the category, born-again Christians who believe they will experience heaven based on their confession of their sins to God and depending on Christ to spare them from eternal punishment, 10% of those who are born-again Christians who are saying they're basing their salvation or their heaven-bound experience upon Jesus Christ, 10% of those believe in reincarnation. That's what I felt. 29% claim it's possible to communicate with the dead. 50% contend that a person can earn their salvation based on good works. No wonder the Lord tells us to go into all the world. Listen, this is most of America, folks. It's it's most of the world, but this is America. America, this this is a survey done among Americans. It reveals, yes, deception. It reveals confusion and what's called syncretism. Syncretism is a blending of faiths. This is what got Israel in trouble when we read in the Old Testament. They never totally forsook the Lord. They added all the other idols with their belief in God. We experienced this in Douala. Uh, when, when Mayor, she's dead now, she's deceased now, Mayor Fawning was running for District 5 in Douala. Uh, when she was on the campaign that year, we were there that year, and she had this big party, and what happens is they, they welcomed us. They said, yes, we want you to pray for us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were among many there. There were witch doctors there, juju there. There were all kinds of, you know, other kinds of, there was Catholicism there. They, they, what they believed, that said, whoever can get the prayer through and to get the help for us to win, we'll believe in them. And that, that's syncretism. That's just a blending, a putting together of all different kinds of faiths. And, hey, whichever one will answer, we'll follow them. That's what Israel was guilty of. That's how they got in trouble with the Lord. And that's what it's showing, this uh, survey is showing that Americans are doing. Christians, people that name the name of Jesus. I hope it's not you out there. The stats reveal that many born-again believers believe, uh, uh, believe that people have multiple options for gaining entry to heaven. They say, here's what they say, personally, I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my means of getting and gaining God's favor and place in heaven. But then they say, but somebody else could get to heaven based upon living a good life. 
That's what's called speaking with a double tongue or speaking out of both sides of the mouth. Millions of, and this, these are quotes from this survey, millions of Americans have redefined grace to mean that God is so eager to save people from hell that God will and he does change his nature and his universal principles for their individual benefit. Then this is the last quote from that survey. It is astounding how many people develop their faith according to their feelings or cultural assumptions rather than biblical teachings. I was amazed when I read that. I was discouraged when I read that, but yet I realized the Lord said, that's why I need my people. That's why you, and I'm just using this as an example, that's why you and I need to take these info cards, and we need to be out there. We need to take every opportunity. We need to, we need to use whatever methods mean strategy. The, the message never changes, but the methods can be updated. And we need to do whatever we can do. People in America believe this kind of stuff. Sylvia and I are encountering when we talk to people during Fall Fest. We talk to people said, no, I don't go to church anywhere. And they got little kids there. And what are those little kids learning? You know what they're learning in school. They're learning all kinds of socialism ideas. And they're learning that sex before marriage is just fine. And sex with the same uh, 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 gender is okay, you know, and normal. We're faced with all that curriculum that's bombarding us, and we're trying to fight all those things in prayer and in the Spirit. The key, or to, we need to remember our key that is through this series, the key thought, what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. What you believe about forever impacts how you will live now. And it's really impossible in talking about heaven for me to be able to adequately describe the wonder and the glory and the goodness and the bliss of heaven. And even Paul admitted this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. He said, no eye has seen, neither has it entered in, no ear has heard, nor mind has imagined or entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Paul was caught up into the third heaven, experienced things when he came back. When he said, he said, it is not lawful for me to even under, to be, me to be able to tell it. We couldn't even comprehend it. Paul wasn't even sure about what he saw himself. Jesus' words from John 14, 1 through 6. There's a lot of scripture here today, so not all of it's on the screen, but it is in my notes. Jesus said these words, don't let your hearts be. This is words of Jesus just before he was going to leave his disciples and be crucified in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. And if it were not so, he said, I would have told you. And he said, I'm going to prepare, here it is, a place for you. Heaven is not some imaginary kind of state of being, of limbo, of floating around. It's not a place where you sit on a cloud and pluck a harp for all eternity. That would be kind of boring, especially if you can't play the thing. You'd torment everybody there. But Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Well, Thomas spoke up and said, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? But Jesus said to him, the famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, see, the, the world says that is narrow. That is just too closed-minded a belief. You've got all kinds of popular people 
decla- uh, declaring, you know, there's many paths to heaven. There's many ways. There's many saviors. There, there's many teachers. There are many prophets. Well, the Lord, the Bible warned us this, this day would be on us that we're on right now. And Jesus declared, he said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody can come to God the Father except through me, Jesus said it. So people want to argue with that. I say, you know, argue with Jesus. He's the one that said it. I'm just the messenger, you know. I'm just in a kingdom. The king has his will. The king has his government. Here it is. Black and white and red sometimes. It should be read and studied. And whatever the king says in his covenant and his contract, you as a citizen of the kingdom, it doesn't matter what you think or what you feel. All we're supposed to do is follow what it says and say, well, this is what, this is what the king says. You and I really don't have an opinion. <laughs> you're not going to like this as an American, but you and I really don't have an opinion. When you're in a kingdom, you don't have an opinion. You follow what the king says. Now, it's not a dictatorship, thank God. He's a good king, merciful king, patient king, loving king. But what he says is right. It's right every time. And we don't have to question it. And we don't even have to really defend it. All we've got to do is declare it. Say, well, if you don't like it, you know, this is what the king says. And I'm just an ambassador for the kingdom. And that's what Paul said we are. We're an ambassador for the kingdom. We're a representative. All we do, we don't have to give an opinion. You say, well, somebody can ask you, well, what do you, what do you think about transgenderism? Well, I don't have any thoughts about it, but the kingdom says this. That should be our answer to it. Here's what the kingdom says. That God created man and woman, male and female. Then Revelation 21, John the apostle, he said, I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away. Do you realize everything you and I touch, see, smell, breathe, handle, desire, pay for, owe on, it's going to pass away. That's what it says. John said, I saw the first heaven and the first earth pass away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice. If you don't like loud, you're not going to like heaven. I don't know if there's earplugs there. I don't know what. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe your body's going to be so changed, you're going to just love everything and get along with everybody. Amen. That'll be, that will be heaven, won't it? It'll be miraculous. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Here's the part of heaven we all love. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God the Father declares this. I will make everything new. And he or she who overcomes those who are victorious, they will inherit all of this. That's you. If you're living for the Lord, if Jesus is your Savior, that's you. You're going to inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. I want to talk about three misconceptions about heaven today. First misconception about heaven is people say heaven is going to be boring. Many people believe that heaven will be boring because, you know, the devil's a liar. And if the devil can convince you heaven's boring, why would you want to go to a boring place for eternity? Eternity is a long time. So the lie of the enemies to tell you you might as well live for the day. This life is all that matters. 
And it doesn't mean you have to live in sin. You might as well live the best life you can live because this is it. That's the lie of the enemy because people think heaven's going to be boring. Some conceive of heaven, I'm sorry, some conceive of heaven as waiting in a long line to get in. St. Peter's there checking your name off, issuing you a white robe and a harp. <laughs> you'll wear that white robe and you'll play that harp the whole time eternally. But you're told to take comfort because you're going to be reunited with your loved ones. And you're thinking, I really don't want to be with those people again and certainly not forever. Some people think heaven is boring because they think God is boring. I used to think as a young person, as a kid, this must be, it, it would be boring. They think God's a killjoy. He's out to rob us of everything fun. But heaven is the opposite of boredom. Heaven is the absence. You know, the older you get, the more you can appreciate this. Heaven is the absence of everything evil and the presence of everything good. I'm ready for some good. I'm ready for some good. I'm tired of the evil. I'm tired of hearing it constantly and dealing with it and fighting it and battling it in my own life and the life of others. I'm ready for some good, and I'm glad God does good. Everything that we now enjoy on earth is a result of a gift from God who is in heaven. You enjoy what you eat. Now, hey, this really, this strikes up. Didn't you enjoy that Thanksgiving, whatever you had? Pies and cakes and your vegetables and your meat dishes and some smoked a turkey, some fried a turkey, some let somebody else smoke a turkey and they enjoyed the turkey and whatever, you know. Some of you don't like the turkey, you know. We went somewhere recently and I said, I've had enough bird. I don't want any more bird for a while. But heaven is, heaven is, is everything that, that God has created, you enjoy what you eat with the taste buds that God gave you. You enjoy the beauty of this world with the eyes that God gave you. And you will feel joy and laughter and love. These are emotions that God gave you as good gifts from the Father who loves us. So when you get to heaven, you're going to enjoy everything that you had on earth. But there will be, thank God, no more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more death. No more separation. It's the absence of everything evil and the presence of everything good. What does Scripture say heaven's going to be like? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, what we know is a love chapter, verses 12 and 13 says, We will know one another. That's a question a lot of people say. Well, will I know? Will I be known? Are, are we going to be able to recognize family members or loved ones or friends? You know, we, It says we will know one another. We will love one another and we will be loved. Heaven is a place of perfect, unending, perfected love. And that scripture says, now we see in the mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, here it is, I shall know just as I am known. And now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now that chapter goes on to describe certain things will end that are earthly, but the faith, hope, and love will last throughout eternity. We'll be able to converse with all of the Bible people that we've ever heard about and visit and interview with them, go see them and talk to them anytime we want or anybody else that's there. You know, ladies, if you've gone through childbirth, you're going to be able to walk up to Eve and say, woman, what were you thinking? Was it worth it? For those of you who've lost a loved one, whether it be a spouse, a child, a relative, or friend, you will be united forever. Forever. And what I... 
try to find words and comfort to tell somebody who's lost a loved one that is a believer or a Christian, this is a temporary separation. It hurts. It's painful. There are no human words to make it better. But just keep remembering, this is a temporary separation. This is not the permanent arrangement. There's not going to be any more heartache, pain, rejection in heaven. It will be perfect love there. Second thing about heaven that Scripture says, it will be a place of unimaginable beauty. Now, these are some long Scriptures, so I'll try to just give the highlights of it. Revelation 21, uh, 15 through 21 says, The city was shining with the glory of God. Well, that's enough right there. The city was shining with the glory of God. It was shining bright like a very expensive jewel, like jasper. It was clear as crystal. The city had large high walls with 12 gates. There were 12 angels at the gates. Each gate was written, on each gate was written the name of one of the tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the west, three on the north, three on the south, three on the east. The walls of the city were built on 12 foundation stones. On the stones were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod made of gold. They didn't do, they didn't do cheap stuff in heaven. It's, it's the most expensive, gold. The angel had this rod to measure the city. It gives the measurements of the city. The city was made of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation stones of the city walls had every kind of expensive jewels in them. This was not cut-rate, third-class jewelry. This was the real deal made by the Creator Himself. Gives the names of each one of those pearls. Uh, the, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate was made from one pearl. Ladies, you think you got something around your neck or your finger. You don't have nothing on heaven. The street of the city, as it said, was made of pure gold as clear as glass. Now, if no eye has seen and no mind can comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him, maybe there are going to be some new colors, some new wonders, some new sensations, a new beauty of the recreated world as God establishes his new world, heaven and earth, as he said. Just think about this world now. It's not boring, is it? Things that happen or let's put, things that don't happen may make you bored, but things in this world are still beautiful. So how much more is God's eternal and new world going to be? Imagine being able to go through this world now, and, and we do it. We take trips, we go see the leaves, we go see the waterfalls, we go see the ocean, we go see the rivers, we go see whatever, you know, we like to see. We all have, like different things. Imagine all those beautiful places in this world. Heaven is going to be a beautiful experience for all eternity without the corruption of sin. Our mind can't comprehend it. I think it's going to be one big giant petting zoo. Because it says the lion's going to lay down with the lamb in Isaiah 11 and other places, but without sin. I know there's going to be horses there. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not sure about your dog and cat, but I guess there will be dogs and cats. I don't know that, so don't get mad at me. I don't know that. But God created animals, and I think they're going to be there. Thirdly, in heaven, which is the most and the greatest thing, we will see Jesus face to face. Wow. Wow. First John 3 says this. We are now children of God, and we are. Born again, blood washed, Holy Spirit filled, on our way to a destination called eternity with God. He said, we're now the children of God. We have not yet been shown what we will be in the future. We don't know. We have glimpses, but like he said, we see through a glass darkly. 
We don't understand it all. There have been many people that have, have had death experience that have come back and have told us what it's like. And it's so many of them that don't know each other. Some, some of them are so young, they don't know the scriptures. Some of them are, 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 are not even Christians. They've never read the Bible. And they come back and they describe this place exactly like the Bible describes it. So their testimonies are pretty valid and, and authentic that they went to heaven. Now, they might not have stayed there. And they came back to tell the story. God said, You're, I'm not ready for you, and then and you need to go back. And then some, God said, you know, it's your choice whether you want to stay or go back. I don't think, I, Paul may have had one of those experiences. Paul said, hey, I'm struggling whether to stay here and to be with you, which is be better for you, but I long to go and be with the, the Lord in heaven. But he said, it's not time yet. So he said, let me finish the scripture, I'm sorry. For we have not yet been shown what we will be in the future, but we know. There it is again, but we know. But we know, do you know, that when Christ comes again, we will be like him. We will see him just as he is. He is pure, and everyone who has this hope in him keeps themselves pure in Christ. That, it is, that is why it's so important. What you believe about eternity determines how you live now. Keep yourself pure. Jude says, unspotted untainted from sin. Flee, run away from it. It's not worth getting entangled with sin and missing your eternal destiny with God. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Just reason with yourself. If I give in to this, if I do this, I, I could possibly not be ready when the Lord comes or I could be taken out, you know, quickly and not get it right. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. We cannot be in the presence of God and live. Moses told us that. He was only allowed to see a glimpse of God's glory. Let, let me rephrase that. You, you cannot be in the full, glorious presence of God and live. Moses was an example. He was only allowed to see a glimpse. But one day, the day is coming, when you and I will be able to look Jesus in the face, eye to eye, and realize that you never truly lived until you see that glory of the Son of God. Wow. Praise His name. Fourth, what it says about heaven. In heaven, you're going to have new and perfect bodies. <laughs> you're going to have to do a trade-in to get it. But it says you'll have new and perfect bodies. You know, you may look in the mirror and you may hate the way your eyes, one eye may be offset from the other. You may have a receding hairline. One ear may be higher than the other, you know. And when they cut your hair, they may have to do it some kind of, you know, uh, beautification trick to make you look level. I don't know. You know, we, there, there are no perfect human beings, are there? But you may look in the mirror and say, man, I wish that was different. Well, in heaven, you will be perfect. We'll be perfect because we'll be like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, call the resurrection chapter. Love this. Someone will say, well, how are the dead raised? And he, talk, he talked about both categories, the Christian and the non. How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body will they come? Every time you plant a seed, you sow something that does not come to life or germinate or spring up unless it first dies. Now, this is bad news, good news. Good news is your destiny is eternity with God. The bad news is you've got to die to get there. You've got to leave this body behind, trade it in to get there. Or the Lord will come and rapture us. But either way, the body is going to go through some changes. 
So he said, you have to, every time you plant something, it doesn't come up, it doesn't spring forth until first it dies. Anybody a gardener or a farmer out here? You know, as a kid, I'd, I'd, uh, mom said, well, you got the green thumb, you plant this. Well, I'd plant it, but the next day or two, I'd go out there and dig it up. Looking, nothing happened. It's still, it's still a seed in the ground. We'll give it about four or five days. You go dig it up, it's kind of ooky looking, mushy, deteriorating. It's got to die. And then when you let it, you know, and I've gone through the process, you, you dig it up and you see the little sprout coming out. You go, ah, well, cover it up, cover it up, let it grow. So it first has to die. The seed you sow is not the body which is, is going to become. When we have a funeral service, that body of that loved one, or even those ashes, we plant that body, we bury that body, we deal with that body. That's not, that's not the seed that's going to come up, though. That's the seed that's planted, but that's not what's going to come up. It's a bare seed, perhaps a weed or some other grain, and he's going back and forth between the natural and the spiritual. But God gives it a body just as he planned, and to each kind of seed a body of its own is given. All flesh is not the same. He said there's one kind of flesh, uh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. The human body that is sown is perishable and mortal. That means it will not last forever. But it is raised imperishable and immortal. It is sown in dishonor. Why is it dishonor? Because sickness has probably taken it or weakness has probably taken it or old age or feebleness has probably taken it. So it's sown in weakness and dishonor. But it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in strength. It's sown a natural mortal body suited for this earth and it's raised a spiritual body which is immortal suited for eternity. As surely as there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. That's proof right there, that phrase right there, that you are going to have a body in eternity, no matter if you're a believer or you're a non-believer. There will be a body in eternity that you deal with. You'll either be rewarded with that body or you'll face judgment and punishment in that body. There's a spiritual body, there's a physical body. He said, now I say this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit, nor be a part of the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, the mortal, inherit the imperishable, the immortal. You've got to die to get there. We think that's, we th- and death is horrible for us that survive it. It hurts, it, it's painful. And I realize I'm talking to a congregation and talking to people online. You have lost loved ones, a wife, a spouse, a husband, a child, a friend. It hurts. It hurts us because we have the memory and we're left here to deal with the emptiness and the sorrow or, or the, sometimes the mess they left us with. But for them, it's great. You have to die to get there. And you've got to die to yourself to receive Jesus Christ to be eligible to go to heaven. So he said, flesh and blood can't get in. We've got to have a new body. We, got, we have to transform from the, from the physical to the spiritual. He said, listen very carefully. I tell you a mystery, a secret truth that's decreed by God that was previously hidden but now revealed. We will not all sleep in death, but we will all be changed, completely, wondrously transformed in a moment 
in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trumpet. For a trumpet will sound and the dead who believed in Christ will be raised imperishable and we will be completely changed, wondrously transformed. I'm reading out the Amplified. For this perishable part of us must put on the imperishable nature and this mortal part of us that is capable of dying must put on the immortality which is freedom from death. And when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up in victory. It's vanquished forever. For the believer, the child in God, when they draw their last breath, they are in the presence of the Lord as we've studied. And scripture says, their body awaits a resurrection. And we see in this chapter 15 how that goes. Any and all of our loved ones and acquaintances who have gone before us that are believers in Christ, they will be in a perfect state of existence. There's no more sickness. There's no more weakness of the flesh. There's no more, you know, losing their hair or hair turning a different color. There's no more wrinkles, sore joints. Whatever you battled on earth in your body will become perfect in every way in heaven. Fifthly, what is heaven like? It's the absence of everything bad, painful, and evil in the presence of everything that's good, holy, and glorious. Isaiah 65, Behold, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and the former things of life will not be remembered or come to mind. It wouldn't be heaven if you could remember what happened on earth. It couldn't be a place of peace and joy in the presence of the Lord if you were constantly remembering what happened on earth. Mom asked me this when, when Sylvia and I were visiting her. She, she asked me the question that just initiated a very deep conversation. She said, my dad's nickname was Eve, and you've heard me tell this story. I'll give you the abbreviated version. She said, can Eve see what is happening here on earth? I said, Mom, I, said, I say no, because how could it be a place of peace and joy in the presence of the Lord if he could see what's going on down here on earth? If he could even see what's happening in our family, that would not be peaceful for him. I said, so I know God doesn't just let him look over the balcony or whatever of heaven and, you know, and sit there and watch and he knows what's going on. There's not a, a screen in his room like Jesus said there was, you know, and he's seeing us, watching us every day. No, no. But I do know this. I, knew, I do know dad is there among the witnesses that are waiting and hoping that we will make things right and come and join him there. And then I popped the question. I said, so are you ready to go be there? And we dealt with her salvation that day. And she prayed and she received the Lord. The Lord said in Isaiah 65, I'm, I'm creating everything new. It's going to be a glad day and a day of rejoicing forever and ever. And he talks about a new Jerusalem. I, for the sake of time, I won't read all of that. But he does say again, the wolf and the lamb, they'll graze, they'll lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. There'll be no more, they will no longer be a predator and a prey. Animals will be peaceful there like they were created in the garden in the first place. The du and dust will be the serpent's food. Thank God. I ain't into snakes. Revelation 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. We already read that. Each separate gate was of one single pearl. The street, which was the broad way of the city, was pure gold like transparent crystal. I saw no temple in it. Why are you reading this, Pastor? It just sounds like the same. It sounds like but is not. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Ruler of all, and the Lamb are the temple. <laughs> They're the temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to give light to it, for the glory, the splendor, the radiance of God will illuminate it. 
and the Lamb is its light and lamp. The nations, the redeemed people from the earth will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring it, bring into it their glory. By day, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed in fear of evil. And they will bring the glory, the splendor, majesty, and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing, thank God, here it is. You say, well, what if all this mess starts all over again in heaven again? It's not. It won't. God's going to ensure it doesn't. There will be no devil there to, to rebel and bring sin into heaven and then sin on earth. It just, let me speak southern to you. It ain't going to happen. Because the word said nothing that defiles or profanes or is unwashed will ever enter it nor anyone who practices abominations which are detestable, morally repugnant things, and lying. But only those will be admitted whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. You've got to have Jesus as Savior and Lord to get there. Heaven will be a place of working with the Lord in glory and passion of what we love to do. Some of you hate your job. In heaven... You've been given gifts and abilities and talents. In heaven, you won't be sitting around doing nothing. You'll be doing, fulfilling those gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you. As a matter of fact, just to remind you again, we don't stay in heaven eternally. He's going to create a new earth, and we're going to come and re-inhabit the earth. What Adam and Eve and and all sin messed up on earth, God's going to create a new earth, and we'll come here and we'll, we'll live on the earth. It'll be a new earth with no sin in it. Isn't it amazing that God gives us so many chances? You think, God, just, you know, like with Moses, God, just blow them away. God said, no. I have something in my eternal mind for the human race, and it will be fulfilled. No devil, no demon, no sin, no politician, no, nobody is going to stop God from fulfilling his will. There'll be no more curse on work. Hallelujah. There'll be no more curse on your work. But blessing as it was originally intended to be. Whatever you're passionate about, you're going to get to enjoy it for eternity. Now, here's what you're not going to find in heaven. No more death, pain, separation, sorrow, sickness, fear, stress, depression, sleepless nights, anxiety, abuse, heartache, divorce, pain, No more racism, no more elections, politicians, glory to God, no more injustices, no more violence, only the presence of good and no more evil. What is the second misconception about heaven? That the world is your home and this world is all that matters. That's a misconception. Paul said to a group of believers about unbelievers in Philippians 3, 19, 20. Their mind, he was speaking about unbelievers, speaking about their mind. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ or Yeshua. You know, what I've sown, what I own, what I wear, what my bank account holds, what I look like. Where I go, where I live, people's opinion of me is what matters to people that are focusing on earthly things. Those are all the earthly things. Now today, there's a little illustration here if I can, if you can just use your imagination. This is eternity. That is eternity past. This is eternity present. Can you, can you get it? You got it? 
This rope represents that timeline. It stretches as far back in history, the beginning of man's time. God has always been, and he's without beginning. And then this direction represents that time going as far in the future as you can imagine. It's when your life is over and this is the future forever and ever and ever and ever on there. Here's where we are, human existence in this time of eternity. This red portion marks the history of mankind. You've got right here the beginning of man's time. God created Adam. God said, eh, it's not good that you're alone. So let me give you Eve. So Adam and Eve are right here. And then we fast forward in the world. You know, a lot of things happen. We fast forward to, well, here's the coming of Jesus Christ right here. All this history has come here. And then we fast forward and we see, well, here, here's the Renaissance. Here's when that happened. And over here, here's where Gutenberg, that old guy, he invented the printing press. And, and now the Bible first and then other books were able to be published where people could read them on a wider scale. And not just a few had the privilege of doing that. And then we fast forward and, well, here's the, here's the Reformation with Martin Luther stating that the just shall live by faith and getting rid of that works and all that indulgences and trying to uh, buy, buy ourselves out of hell and purgatory and all that, that the just shall live by faith. And then we got a little further down the road, fast forward, we got the Industrial Revolution. That's where all the, the machinery and the inventions of mankind started making life easier for us. You believe that lie? And then we got, we got the, the, after the Industrial Revolution, we fast forward, and then we got, we got World War I, the war that will end all wars, never be another one. And after that, we got what? The Great Depression. We still got a, people, still people, a few people around that went through the Great Depression. I don't know if there's any in this congregation uh, that went through the Great Depression, but they, they, uh, they hang on to that dollar bill because their fear is that another day may come. They're savers. They don't... They don't like to spend. Then we got World War II that came after that. So you got World War II. And then you got the 57 Chevy came in there somewhere along that, you know. And then you got the creation of Internet. And then here we are. Here's you and me right here today. This is our life today, the end of this little piece right here. Eternity future is out there in front of us, before us. The history of mankind, eternity past, eternity present. And then there's this very small time area called our life today. Remember I said one week when a person is born, D-O-B, date of birth, and then D-O-D, date of death. Between that, there's always that dash. That dash is your life. However long it may be, however short it may be, that dash between your D-O-B and your D-O-D, that's your life. That's how you live. That is you now, here. Scripture says in James 4.14, Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? Question mark. You're merely a vapor. Or translation said, you're like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot that is visible for a little while and then vanishes into thin air. Anybody remember a kettle on the stove to boil water to make your tea or your grits or whatever you did, you know? And that thing would get hot and it'd whistle and that steam would come pouring out. That's what our life is like. You're only here on this earth for a moment. Here is what matters the eternity future is out there in front of us. But so many are living for this small part of this red marked on this rope today. 
we get so upset about what's happening right here in this red. I'm running late. I can't stand my job. My kids were late at the bus stop. Who's going to pick them up today? That person said something about me. They almost cost me my job. Something broke in the house. They made fun of me at school way back when I was a kid, and I've never gotten over it. We're so upset about what happens right now. We can't do anything about eternity fast. But all of eternity future lies before us. And Philippians 1.8 says these words from Paul contains five little words that you and I need to know today and learn to practice. What then does it matter? There were some in the context of what Paul said when he said those words, what then shall matter, does it matter? There are some who are preaching Christ out of pretense, envy, selfish ambition, all to cause trouble for Paul and make him look bad and get him persecuted even worse. But Paul said, what then does it matter? He said, Christ is preached in spite of it all. We get all uptight and upset when life isn't going for us right right now. We need to live the here and the now in a way that makes a difference in eternity. What does matter is how I live here will affect eternity. What matters is how I love. What matters is what I give. What matters is who I serve. And what matters is what I say that gives life to others. If it doesn't matter in eternity, future, then we should not be letting it bother us that much here. Now, I'm not saying we should be negligent and not care in this life. But if it really doesn't matter, if it's not going to go through eternity, then don't get so hung up on it here. How you spend your time, how you love people, how you give, how you do things, how you speak, what you say will be weighed in all of eternity future. And we get so hung up about the now. But if it does matter in eternity, then by all means we should be living it and focusing on the here and the now. Second Corinthians 4.18 says this, For the things that we see now will soon be gone. Do you ever stop and think about that much? The things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see, the invisible, the eternal, they'll last forever. I love the Amplified, and that's what it sa- this is what it says in that. So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal. They're just brief, and they're fleeting. They're like vapor. They'll be gone. Have you ever noticed, you know, you buy something and we bought a car one time and it was just about a couple of months old and we were going down the freeway and we were following in traffic, not following close, but we were following evidently a plumbing truck or some type of truck of that kind and a piece of pipe at least 18 to 2 feet came flying off that truck and was circling in the air. It was almost like it went in slow motion and it was headed right for the windshield on Sylvia's passenger side. And I was able to swerve quick enough, not totally missing it, but it hit the side of the door. And it must have put at least a five-inch gash in a brand-new vehicle, at least a quarter of an inch thick to where your t- little touch-up paint would not fill it in. And, you know, the flesh is just going, this is a brand-new car. 
And the Holy Spirit reminded me, you dedicated this to me. I said, it's a brand new car. And the Lord said, I thought you gave this to me. And my mind's going, this is a brand new car. It's ruined. So when I got home, I took the touch-up paint, and I dabbed and daubed and coated, and the best I could, I refused to take it in, you know. And I, and I just said, and I felt the Lord deal with me. It really doesn't matter. You're safe. Your wife is safe. It didn't come through the windshield. It didn't impale her. It didn't knock her in the head. It didn't kill her. You're okay. You're not in an accident. All it did was put a scar on the car. And from that, I just determined I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to get it fixed. I'm just going to leave it there. And for the life of the, I had the car 14 years. I just left it there. And every time I looked at it, I said, Lord, thank you for protecting us that day. It was a reminder. Just thought of this. But you know the scars that you have in your life? Because you've been wounded. Because you've been hurt. Because somebody's done something to you. Those scars, let them be a reminder of God's grace in your life. But that didn't destroy you. It didn't kill you. It didn't cause you to sink. But it's a reminder of God's goodness and grace and mercy. It could have ended up much worse. The wor- this world's not our home, folks. I believe with all my heart we're to occupy until he comes. We're to fight the good fight of faith. We're to run and we're to finish the course. I believe that with all my heart. And some days for all of us, it's tough. It's rough. Some days we just say, Lord Jesus, come. And that's good. That's good. Because when we all start calling out and when the Jewish people start calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it's going to happen. And it's getting so bad, all of us are 